words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. <laughs> Happy Confirmation Sunday. This morning, six of our young people will be making their promises of faithfulness to God and to his church. If you were here for the examination, you heard them confess so beautifully what they believe, the truths of Scripture. They were reciting passages that they had memorized. They were explaining the the big Bible words. They they did a fantastic job speaking the truth that they believe because today they're making this faith their own. Not just because it's mom and dad's church. Today they're making their promises. They're making this religion thing, this Christianity thing, their thing. And they're promising that it's going to be theirs forever. That's an awesome thing. That's a rare thing. Do you know how rare it is? Have you heard of the Barna Research Group? If you've heard any stat quoted in just about any publication about religion and what Americans believe and and biblical worldview, things like that, you've heard of the Barna Group because that's probably where it came from. They're kind of the gold standard. They do just tons of, of research on what people believe. And their 2023 report on, on biblical worldview recently came out. It's kind of shocking. More than a little bit scary. They did their surveys and they asked thousands and thousands and thousands of Americans about their faith. And 68% of Americans said that they were Christian. It's not bad, right? Not what it used to be, but it's a solid majority. But then they got a little bit more specific and they characterized, they, they, they categorized the, the, the people who professed to be Christian. And, and, and the big category was, was biblical Christianity. So those who believed what the Bible says, not just that they said they were Christian, but that they believed that the Bible says, what the Bible says about what it means to be a Christian. So, so they asked a bunch of teachings, and, and a biblical Christian, according to their definition, is someone who agrees with this, these six statements. Ready? Number one, absolute moral truth exists. Two, the Bible is inerrant. Three, God is the supreme creator of heaven and earth and reigns over the whole universe today. Four, Satan is real, not just a symbol. Five, a person cannot earn heaven by their own good works. And six, Jesus Christ lived a sinless life on earth. Sounds good, right? I think we'd agree to all of those. We would probably add a couple, but, but those and more are what our confirmands just expressed in the examination and what they're going to promise to in, in their confirmation promises. And, and they're going to say that they would rather die than fall away from, from those teachings. So, so it, it's a big deal. You want to guess the percentage of young Americans who agree with those six statements. The percentage of of Americans 30 years old and younger who are categorized by Barna as being having a biblical worldview, being biblical Christians. You want to guess the percentage? You were in the first service. 
one. One percent. Actually, just a hair under one percent. One out of every hundred people would agree with, with what we believe about what the Bible says about Christianity. Now, granted, the older age groups, my age group is at 3%, a little bit better, and it goes up uh, in, in the older age groups, but, but 1% of young Americans who believe what you guys are confessing. And then the Pew Research Group comes along with a study that says that based on current trends, 75% of young adults who, who profess to be Christians today will not before the end of their life. They'll fall away. So even that 1% won't be 1% for long. You think Christians get minimized or, or mocked or even persecuted Today, imagine what's going to be in 10 years or 20 years. Good luck, kids. But thankfully, we have way more than just a wish for luck. In the section of Scripture that you guys picked for your, for your sermon, for your Confirmation Sunday sermon, we have a prayer with power. It's a prayer I pray for you. It's a prayer for those believers in, in Ephesus, praying for these people that he had gotten to know. He worked in Ephesus for quite a while, longer than most other places, and, and, and he had done some, some awesome work gathering that congregation before he had to, to move on and continue starting other churches and, and continue with his, his mission work. And, and if you look at Acts 19, where we have the history of Paul's work in Ephesus, you might say, you know, I see some similarities to the world we're living in and the world those Ephesian believers were living in. First of all, if you remember the, that church in Ephesus, that was the one where, where there's quite a bit of confusion. Most people in Ephesus did not even know about Jesus, but there were some that said they believed in Jesus, but, but Paul finds out they hadn't even heard about who the Holy Spirit is. So, so he had some teaching to do, and he did that. He taught. He shared God's Word, and God's Word worked. And, and they grew inwardly and in number, and, 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 and baptisms were happening, and God's power was there, and miracles were happening, and the church was growing but Ephesus is also the place where the most powerful demonstration against God's word and, and Paul's message took place. If you remember, Ephesus is home to the great temple of Artemis, a.k.a. Diana, one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. So, so Artemis was, was kind of a big deal there. She had a lot of followers, that, that goddess. And, and in Ephesus, that's where that riot broke out from the followers of, of Artemis who got mad that Paul was proclaiming a message that said that Artemis wasn't even a real god. And, and, and well, it says they stormed the amphitheater in Ephesus. They had Amphitheater historians, archaeologists tell us that 25,000 people could fit in this amphitheater. And this group of, of followers of Artemis were so mad at Paul and his message that, that they, there was a mob, a riot, and they filled that amphitheater. 25,000 people shouting and chanting over and over and over for two hours, Great is Artemis! 
Isthmus of the Ephesians because they were so upset that, that they felt like Paul's message was, was, was diminishing their goddess and they didn't want to let that happen. The scene was so crazy that the secular leaders found Paul and said, you have to stay away from here because they will tear you to pieces. You will not survive. We're not letting you go there. That was the last scene Paul had of those believers in Ephesus because he had to move on and he kept doing his work and you fast forward and he started other congregations and now he's in jail and he, he receives a message from those believers in Ephesus and they were still believing even though they were this tiny minority, the whole city hating them, they were still living their faith. They were still believing. And, and Paul says, I thank God for you. Just like I thank God for you. I watched you up here in the examination answering questions and explaining your faith and reciting passages. The, the work that you put in to confirmation class and, and the desire to grow in God's word and the understanding that you have gained and the promise that you're going to keep doing that, I thank God for you. That he's working in you even though 99% say that's crazy. And then Paul prays for you. Verse 17. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. He prays that you keep growing. Then he goes on. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his hope people. That's the first thing he prays that you know, the hope to which he has called you, the hope of heaven. You know that you are going to heaven. Remember a couple of weeks ago we had the sermon on John 14 where Jesus says, I'm going to prepare a place for you and kind of made a, a big deal about the fact that knowing we have heaven coming, that that helps us here, that allows us to get through some of the junk of this life. So, so that's the first point. If you weren't here to hear that sermon, look it up on our YouTube channel this afternoon. Watch it. Check it on the, the sermon podcast. Listen to it. But, but I'm going to trust. We're going to move forward. I'm going to trust that you've got that point. Knowing that we have heaven makes it easier to handle the junk that we go through here, right? So that's the first thing that he wants you to know. And then he goes to the second. Verse 19. And, so another thing he prays that you know. His incomparably great power for us who believe. So it's not just that Jesus will use his great power to, to come back at the end and take us to be with him forever. He will do that. But, but it's more. He, he wants us to know his incomparably great power for us who believe right now. There's a lot of things that seem powerful in life. You know, whatever you're scared of what your friends think of you, what the bully might do. But this power that God wants you to know is incomparably greater than that. So whatever it is that scares you, this is that much more powerful. And then he describes this power, power that Jesus has for you. He says, <clears throat> that power 
is the same as his mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. Every power we know has limits. And normally one of the big limits is death, right? When someone dies, there's no power there anymore, but, but not Jesus. He defeated death. He destroyed death. Christ is risen. risen That's power. And then, 40 days later, he he ascended. I mean, that's what what all of our readings are about. His ascension to the power, to to the position of all power, says something. Paul writes, He ascended far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. Many of you see the, the coronation of King Charles III a couple weeks ago? That, that pomp and circumstance and, and wealth. I mean, one, one reporter estimate, said that they estimated that the value of the jewels in the crown was between three and five billion dollars. A, a diamond in the scepter the, the size of, of a baseball. I mean, it's a little much, right? You might say, hey, it's, uh, you know, it's kind of just a figurehead now. It's not that big a deal. Don't say that out loud. But, but, but there was a time when all of that made sense. There was a time when the person who wore that crown was the most powerful person in the world. The sun did not set on the empire of, of the person who completely controlled that empire who was wearing that crown. And now Paul writes that he wants you to know that, that Jesus, far above even that. And he goes on. He says, God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. All that power is brought to bear for you. He is in charge with all of the power that just said a single word to create the world. The power that, that spoke to the storm and said, be still, and it was. The power that, that burst forth from the grave like death was nothing. And he says, all of that power is for the church. You. He has connected you to, to this. He's given us this, this place, this family of faith. So that even when life is tough, even when things go wrong, even when 99.9% of the world is against you, you can make it. And don't miss what I think is the coolest thing he says here. Did you see what he calls you? He says, you are Christ's body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. When Jesus was walking this earth, people could see him, right? He's God. They could see God. And so they saw what God looked like. They saw God's power. They saw God's love because they could see Jesus. They saw God. But then Jesus ascended into heaven to that position of all authority and power and rule that, that is ruling over everything, but we can't see him now. And so now he says, you know, that whole seeing him thing, that's you. That's the church. When people see you, 
living as his children, working together as his church, they see God. They see God's love and God's power when they see you living your faith. And Paul says, I want you to know that. I want you to know that. Because remembering that, you'll make it even when life gets hard. Because it's not knowing that, or not remembering that, or not living like that is the case that causes all the problems, right? Not knowing Jesus and his power, not knowing the ascension, is really at the root of every problem we face. Because when you don't have a grip on how Jesus is using all his power to control our past, present, and future, well, then you're going to see the things that happen in a distorted perspective. Pain comes into your life? Well, what's this? I thought God was in control. Why does God hate me? Or why doesn't he love me? Either God doesn't love me or he's not really powerful or he's not God. That's a problem thinking that way, right? Guilt boils up. Well, I thought Jesus came to, to remove my guilt. Why is it still bothering me so much? Didn't it work? Temptation springs up. How come, how come I thought God hates sin and he wants it out of my life? How come he lets me keep being tempted like this? Every pain, every calamity, every temptation, every issue we face and don't understand is rooted in this problem. Not knowing or not seeing who God is or not remembering who he is at that moment. So when you lose your orientation to the the one who ascended, everything else crumbles. You lose your understanding of how he works all things for your good. Suffering pain and don't understand it? Remember the, the infinite pain that he willingly suffered for you. Dealing with guilt and can't quash it? Well, remember his mercy that that took your guilt. Struggling with temptation and can't seem to, to get rid of it? Well, time spent thinking of his righteousness that's placed on your record. His perfection, his omnipresence. Well, let that guide you. In all the issues that we face, an understanding of the ascended Christ's power gives us peace. Yeah, we'll battle to remember it from time to time, but it doesn't change that he is sitting on the throne and he is ruling all things for you. When we understand Christ's power, we have the answer to to every struggle. And the answer is not do better. It's see Jesus. And so I pray every day that you may know him better. Christ is risen. Hallelujah. Amen. Now may the peace of God that passes all understanding keep your hearts and minds through faith in Christ Jesus. Amen. At this time, we get the opportunity to give our gifts of thanks and praise to God in the form of our offering. As the offering is gathered, we have the opportunity to... um, Fill out the friendship registers. I ask that you do that. Fill out the friendship registers that are being handed down the aisle. As you put your information in there, it better allows us to do what God has called us together to do. Encourage one another on toward love and good deeds.